Rick Stevens, financial advisor with FRS Financial Group, securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA SIPC. The opinions voiced in this program are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a decision. For more detailed information regarding any of the topics discussed on today's show, please call 719-500-8700. This is Money Matters, presented by FRS Financial. Here's your host, Rick Stevens. Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to this edition of Money Matters presented by FRS Financial Group. Rick Stevens here, your host. We are in studio, as always, with Andrew Rogers. Andrew, how are we doing today? Doing fantastic. How about you? Uh, You know what? It's another day in paradise somewhere. Yeah, just depends on what your definition of paradise is. Exactly, and that's why it's always somewhere in there as well. Folks, this is that kind of a show that uh, if you've never listened to us before, we're going to talk about all kinds of things that affect your money. If you've got a question you'd like to have answered on a future show, if you've got a topic you would like to hear covered, give us a phone call, 719-500-8700. I think I'm uh, option three or four on that uh, phone tree. You can also send me an email, rstevens at frsfinancialgroup.com, or go to the website, frsfinancialgroup.com. Hit that contact tab, send us that question, send us that topic you'd like to hear more about, because we would love to hear from you. Folks, this week on Money Matters in studio with us, is Kyle Fisk with the Fisk team at Pintrust. How are we today, Kyle? Living the dream. Ooh, ooh, that's always a good thing. Always a good thing. Folks, I've got to uh, issue that official uh, disclosure on my side that LPL Financial and FRS Financial do not offer endorsements of the guests that appear on Money Matters. Kyle, we're happy you're here anyway. I feel loved. You should. You should. And uh, I know you've got about 22 minutes of disclosure. You've got to read, so we'll be back after a couple of segments then. (laughs) Good morning, everybody. All material presented today is for educational purpose and is not an advertisement to extend credit. Not all applicants are eligible for loan products offered. All loan programs, terms, conditions, including those interest rates, they're subject to change without notice. I'm Kyle with the Fisk team at Pentrust Mortgage Group, NMLS number 1949057, FiskMortgage.com. That wasn't that bad. No, that wasn't that wasn't too bad. And and I love that that part in there because it's the perfect just walk right into what we're going to talk about here in the first segment and that uh you know, interest rates subject to change without notice because that that may have happened in 2022 a little bit. Just a little bit. I mean, you, there were there were times if I recall correctly on a couple of shows where your rates changed like three times the day before. Correct. Yeah, we've seen a lot of volatility, unpredictability in the marketplace. As we've seen inflation go up over the last year, we saw that that started inflation was actually about a year ago right now. It was yes. The end of January of a year ago, we started to see those inflation numbers start to creep up. We've seen interest rates follow. We've more than doubled interest rates over the last year. But what happened at the end of fourth quarter and going into 2023, it's going to get real interesting. Interesting is a great word for that. You know the uh, the the fun part, and and because I know Andrew is such a math nerd, he loves this part of uh, mm-hmm. you know those statistical measures in our economy. Inflation is a year over year number, so when we start looking at year over year numbers, 
I think what we're going to see in 2023 is a much smaller set of inflation simply because we're looking at January 22 versus 23 instead of 22 versus 21. Am, am I right on that, Kyle? So when we talk about looking at when, the, the big question, when will inflation peak? When will it start coming down? When will we see the effect of everything the Fed has done, right? Because inflation, let's just remember a very simple definition. It's too many dollars chasing too few goods. Yes. And we see prices increase and affordability decrease, right? That's the, the basics of inflation. Now, like you said, we measure inflation year over year, month over month. And so- you know, if we look at the 20, 2021 numbers and then we look at the 20, 2022 numbers, inflation went up because we replaced very low numbers with higher numbers. Yes. So in July, August, September of 2021, we were at 0.3, 0.2, 0.3% of, a, of yep. an increase, and those got replaced by significantly higher numbers. Uh, but here's what's really interesting as we look at um, – Going into 23, we're going to start replacing those really high numbers that we saw last year mm -hmm. with numbers that are very likely going to be lower, which is going to bring that core CPI, Consumer Price Index, which is there's lots of different measures of inflation, but that's probably the Fed's favorite measure, yes. core, stripping out food and energy prices, core core uh, CPI, consumer price index numbers, as with the 2022 numbers, which were much higher, get replaced with numbers as real inflation is coming down, we're going to see that core rate continue to decrease. We saw it start in November and December, yep. and there's a lot of indications that seem to suggest we're going to see that going into the first half of 2023. Now, Kyle, we know uh, the Fed's favorite way to try and reduce that inflation and to tap that down was those continued patterns of interest rate hikes. So, uh, Ken, as we're looking back at 22, how did that really affect especially uh, the mortgage rates in the uh, housing industry? Because that's, I guess, one of the big things that people can really see as far as that, uh, that baseline interest rate really having a tangible effect. Yeah, so the Fed, you know, only has a couple of tools in their tool belt and they mm -hmm. can either, right, there's if you're going to try to fix this inflation problem which is n too much too many dollars, mm -hmm. too much demand going after not enough goods, too small of a supply. Too much demand, not enough supply. You can either increase supply, which would be something I wish we would see, or, but the Fed's job, the Fed's really only tool in their tool belt is to tamp down demand. And they do that by making the cost of everything more expensive, by raising the cost of money in America. So when they raise the federal fund rate, that isn't your mortgage rate, it's not your credit card rate but it does affect those rates, mm -hmm. and there's a trickle-down effect. As they raise the cost of money in America, we see that domino effect on the cost of everything in America. And as we've seen the Fed rate increase dramatically over the last 12 months, we have to remember two things. Number one, there's traditionally, we'll probably get into this in a later segment, but there's traditionally about a 200 basis point or 2% spread between the federal fund rate and the interest rate. So if mm -hmm. the federal fund rate's at four, your interest rates are at six. What's really interesting of what happened this last year is we started seeing the spread get much, much bigger. So we had a Fed rate of four and interest rates of seven or even higher, over 3% spread. And we can get into why that is. But as the cost of money has become more expensive in America, we've seen interest rates go up quite dramatically. And 
And But we have to remember, those impacts of the Fed, there's a lagging indicator. The mm-hmm. Fed drives with their eyes in the rearview mirror. They're looking at data from before, and they're making a, making decisions that actually don't really affect the economy for three to six months. So we're just now seeing the effect of interest rate hikes in June and July and September of last year. And so, you know... And that's one of the things that we see. We talked about this last time I was yep. on the show, the hot water, cold water. How do mm-hmm. we find a nice, healthy middle? And can we achieve this you know, soft landing that they keep talking about? Exactly. You know, and that's uh, I've always questioned the concept of the soft landing because, the, you know, ultimately, and if you, you know, kind of think about it just from a gravity perspective, right? Would you rather have a soft landing from 500 feet or would you rather have a hard landing from 10 because you rip off the Band-Aid, you make the one giant increase one time, we deal with it now, and and more often than not, it's not getting dragged out over a year, year and a half, two years. Good luck with that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, you know what? Um, it's Because it, we're talking about these pieces, right? In, and in for the most part, it's the simple world of economics 101, right? It's simply supply and demand. But there are a lot of talking heads out there that like to create multiple levels of details and how cre- it's. it really does just come down to supply and demand, though, right? It, it really, not to oversimplify it, but it really does come down to that. And so there are multiple factors playing into this. Obviously, we had big supply chain disruptions COVID and Mm post-COVID, we're just now coming out of that. One of the indicators that we look at is the cost of trucking and shipping. And the cost of trucking and shipping are actually coming down, which again says that was a... So the major issue of supply, COVID and post-COVID, wasn't that there wasn't enough toilet paper in warehouses. It was getting it from where it was produced to the Costco's and Target's and Walmart's. Yes. And so the the shipping issue was a big, you know, uh, issue in that whole supply chain you know, debacle that we saw in COVID and post-COVID. And again, leading indicator, as we see the costs of shipping, freight, and all that starting to come down, it's an indicator that we're starting to fix that supply side of things. Um, We pumped conservative estimates, say somewhere between 7 and $8 trillion into the economy Mm -hmm. uh, from the start of COVID to the end of last year. Right. Um, Now, that's a lot to put in the – that's a lot of demand yes. we've created. That's yes. a lot of extra money because people don't stick it under their mattress. They go out and buy new cars with it. Um, however, if you look at the last year – remember we, we talked right before we got on the air about are we in a recession? What does a recession look like? Right. How long will it last? You have to remember if you look at the losses in the last 8 to 10 months, we've lost somewhere between 10 and $13 trillion in total money in the, right. in the U.S. economy. So we've actually, after we saw the the strongest, highest increase in money supply in the history of the U.S. economy over a 24-month period, we then saw the sharpest decline in money supply over the last 12 months. In fact, for 2022, it was the first time in American history that we had a negative number in money supply. Yes. Yeah. And and part of that, you know, from the, from the market's perspective of things, Different things going on in the Fed world, right? Those are going to adjust. Uh, some bond rates going to have a negative impact oftentimes on that bond market. 2022 as a year is, I think, something like the third time in 120-ish years we saw both 
the the equity side on like the S&P 500 or the Dow or the Nasdaq however you want to look at it not only was it down the the bond aggregate was down and it's the first time in history they were both down double digits yeah, so we normally see that inverted response where, if hey, if the bonds are down, the stocks are up. If the stocks are down, the bonds are up. Like you said, we saw this huge drop in both, really a loss of money supply in the economy. That is actually, while it's bad for our retirement accounts, mm-hmm. it's actually good from an inflationary standpoint in terms of removing all that excess money supply, which is removing demand. And now as we get into back to replacing these numbers, like remember, we talked about how year over year, 21 to 22, we were replacing two-tenths and three-tenths types numbers. As we go into first and second quarter of 2023, we're replacing six-tenths and seven-tenths numbers with current numbers, which is why some of the experts in the industry are saying, by the time we get to Labor Day, you could see interest rates potentially in the fives. Yeah, it's uh, it's one of those things. And and here's the crazy part, right? Because oftentimes right now we're, we're looking at it going, oh my goodness, look at how high these rates are. It's because they were... I will say artificially kept low for a long, long time. Yeah, no question. What we saw, pandemic-induced, COVID-related, um, I mean, not to, not to make that the big bad enemy and just keep making that the issue, but the bottom line was we made the cost of money in America practically zero, and that wasn't market force-driven, Yep. right? That was artificially created, and so, yeah, we saw these incredibly low, historically low, never-before-seen type numbers in the twos and threes. That, frankly, isn't actually healthy for the housing economy. Right. Right. Um, most experts seem to suggest that interest rates in the 45 to 6.5 range are actually a pretty healthy place to sit in terms of an investor making money on that mortgage, affordability of housing, and a lot of other factors. So we're not that far off from where we should be. And if you look back, even five or seven years ago, interest rates in that four to six range were mm-hmm. pretty normal. And so it's all a matter of expectations. If I yes. got used to interest yes. rates in the threes, then my six and a half percent interest rate is really troublesome. But we're probably just normalizing the mortgage market at this point. Yep. Well, folks, that's uh, some good information we've got there uh, so far in the show. We are up against that first break. When we come back, we are going to continue talking about inflation, what some of those uh, expectations are that we could see coming up in 2023. So stick around. You do not want to miss where we're headed next. Stick around, everybody. Are you worried about what's been going on in the markets and how it has affected your portfolio? Maybe you need a financial checkup. If you have questions about the health of your financial future, call FRS Financial Group at 719-500-8700 to schedule your complimentary checkup. And remember to tune into Money Matters presented by FRS Financial Group here on KRDO, Saturday mornings at 9 and Sunday at noon. Products and services offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA, SIPC. Welcome back to Money Matters presented by FRS Financial Group. Andrew Rogers here along with Rick Stevens, of course, joined by Kyle Fisk with the Fisk team of Pentrust Mortgage. You know, during that first segment, we were talking a lot about where, how we got to this point, what really transpired when it comes to the Fed rates, inflation, things like that during 2022, obviously the big financial headline. So, Kyle, uh, I guess uh, the big question is, where do we go from here knowing everything that kind of transpired last year? Where do you see happening? 
happening here in 2023 as far as uh, continuing to get the economy and inflation kind of normalized out? Yeah, I mean, now now that everybody's you know eyes are rolled back in their head and glazed over from all this discussion <laughs> about the federal funds rate and inflation and year over year measurement, what does it really mean for the consumer? today? What does it mean for people's retirement accounts? What does it look like for their stock portfolio? What does it look like if they want to buy a home? What's going to happen to home prices? What's going to happen to interest rates? Because that's really where the rubber meets the road. Because we can talk about inflation and we can talk about these macro economists and the Federal Reserve Board of Directors, but at the end of the day, inflation for you comes down to the price of a gallon of gas at the pump. And it comes down to the cost of eggs at the grocery store, which is the latest thing to hit the news. If you can can find them and and, and they must be cage free. I think that must mean there's a one square foot per Yeah, one square foot plus like a head hole or something. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And next year it gets a little bit bigger. Yeah, (laughs) foot and a half next year. Yeah. So, but it all joking aside, that's what it really comes down to, right? Of what, how is it hitting my wallet and my pocketbook, both in my daily expenses and my monthly budget, as well as the value of my assets and my retirement, my kids' college savings, and the ability to buy a home and what's happening in home affordability. So, we clearly saw, you know, home prices have been skyrocketing in El Paso County and Southern Colorado over the last several years. We've certainly seen some price modulation. Now, we have not seen home values decline. We've talked about this wait, before. Wait, but I keep hearing home prices are dropping, Kyle. Home, They're dropping. Home values are not in decline. We've talked about this before. <laughs> I'll just cover it super fast because it does keep coming up. There's a big difference between price decreasing and price deceleration. So we're not actually a, a decrease in value is I buy a house for 500,000 and I can only sell it for 475. Now, 3 years ago I could buy that house for 500 and a year later sell it for 600 cuz I was having 20% plus appreciation mm-hmm. year over year. That has not happened anymore. That's the number that slowed down. So the rate of appreciation has slowed down considerably. We're probably somewhere in single digits. Some estimates on a national level say it could be as low as 3 or 4%. Now, that's still not a bad increase of your real estate. In El Paso County, honestly, it's probably closer to 8 to 10%, which is still not a bad rate of appreciation. So home values are still going up. They're just going up more slowly. And again, in certain price points, if you looked outside of that kind of top of the bell mm-hmm. curve, maybe uh, your million-dollar homes or more, there's certainly maybe a smaller uh, demand for that type of property. And you might see, and again, in the real estate world, we see our you know homes being marked down, price reductions. Well, that's probably more of a realtor not having a good understanding of the market and overpricing the home to begin with of how much more do I think I can get for this rather than that homeowner actually selling the home for less than they bought it for, which is actually a price decrease. So what you're saying, and even, you know, kind of coming back to that interest rate conversation we were having is that it's more almost an adjustment as far as our expectations because we were so used to for so long having those, you know, interest rates in the twos and so low and then seeing that almost 20% appreciation that this is really an abnormally and having to look at that large scale picture and really kind of readjust our focus as far as what uh, our expectations should be, especially going into 23, if not 24 and 25 as well. You know, they called 2022 the year of adjustment. I would call 2023 the year of readjustment because we're just readjusting Mm -hmm. to what really is actually much more of a normal and frankly a more healthy overall balance in the market 
you want a balance between buyers and sellers. You want mm-hmm. some parity because that keeps home prices affordable, keeps demand in the marketplace, and all of those good things. And so, yeah, as we look at interest rates, you know, skyrocketing to somewhere in the seven to eight range at their peak. And probably now tempering back down in 2023, and we'll get into that. And looking at home prices just not increasing as rapidly, making it a little bit more affordable and a little bit more parity to where it's not just a seller's market. The buyers have a little bit more power. There's a lot more room for negotiation and concessions and the ability to put people into homes. I think that's what you're going to see in 2023. So so what you're telling me is it kind of comes down to a supply and demand sort of a concept in there. You're just going to keep bringing this all back to supply and demand all day, aren't you? It's it's, well, it's kind a of basic a basic economic concept that is kind of out there. <laughs> um, you know, the funny thing is there was a, you know, while we've seen back to this home price thing, cause I think this mm-hmm. is an interesting thing. I think this is something people care about. We did see home prices decline for four straight months. Now, again, mm-hmm deceleration versus devaluation, right? And after those four months, I think we're going to see the same numbers as we get December's numbers here in a couple of weeks. I think we'll probably see that downward momentum continue. Um, Now, while that sounds dramatic and they say you could see up to a 5% decrease in some of those home prices, this is nowhere close to where we were in 2010, which is something that keeps coming up. Are we yes. in a housing bubble, mm-hmm. a housing crash? Should I go out and buy a home today? And the argument might actually be today might be one of the best times to buy a home in the last several years because of some of those price drops. Um, you have to remember a couple of things are really different between where we are today and where we were in, say, 2010 with the big housing crash. Yes. First of all, mortgage lending standards have remained incredibly high. It's harder today to get a mortgage than it's ever been before in recorded American history, in the history of the modern mortgage, in terms of the qualifications and the things that we check and the boxes we look at and the documents we collect. Following the crash, a lot of standards were put in place, and those are all still there. So, Thank you, Dodd-Frank. Thank you, Dodd-Frank of 2010. Mortgage quality has been far more regulated than ever before, and economic conditions have remained really strong in spite of interest rates. Um and we continue to see that homeowners have a choice to sell. They have more equity in their property than they've had in several decades. Um, the last time we saw prices decline, we saw a combination of bad mortgages mm-hmm. and declining prices that forced a bunch of inventory on the market in a moment where we already had a ton of inventory on the market. The inventory levels are still really, really low, which is keeping uh, support for prices and not having this, we're, we're not going to see a big wave of foreclosures, short sales. Less than right. 2% of all mortgages mm-hmm. in America today are in any level of forbearance, underwater, or in any level of um, uh, being, out, you know, not being up to date and not being paid. So, what you're saying is that right now our supply is pretty good relative to the demand for housing. Well, since the beginning of 2020, 2020 inventory levels have been historically low. Um, the first half of 2022, we hit a 1.6 month supply nationally, which is the lowest in recorded history. Um, so there is still actually a supply issue. And one of the issues with the affordability problem is, frankly, if we look at El Paso County and Southern Colorado, the influx of people, the high demand of people mm-hmm. wanting to relocate here, retire here, live here, the Department of Defense spending and all of our military installations, demand is still incredibly high. We're frankly still behind in the supply curve. More supply would actually be good for the market because, again, more supply would actually help bring prices back down a little bit. 
Yeah, and that's where you know if you're if you're just taking a look, you know, quite frankly, throughout just about any part of town, whether whether that's all the way up toward Monument, that's that's down on the south end as you're moving out east, we're still seeing a lot of apartments and complexes, not just a single building, but entire complexes being built these days. So there's a if you look at the rental market, especially the apartment world, there's actually a fascinating big roller coaster curve that happens cyclically. Um, so there isn't enough inventory, right? Not enough rooms. Um, an apartment complex takes around three years to go through the entire zoning, platting, build, construct, mm-hmm. lease out, fill cycle. Right. So all of these guys started mo- several years ago when the market was good and there was a big lack of you know, big lack of supply of all of these units. Now all these units will flood the market. That will actually moder- moder- moderate prices. The return on investment won't be as good, so they'll all stop their construction projects, not start new ones until we get caught back up again. So you see this big roller coaster. And yeah, we're right on the verge in in Southern Colorado of seeing a bunch of new apartment complexes and units coming online, which is going to have an impact on our housing affordability. And that's uh, not necessarily a bad thing, right? In that not grand scheme, especially when you are talking about, you know, the, the younger crowd, if you will, going out leaving the nest, getting their first place to live, or, or even folks that have just been restationed somewhere and, and don't want to buy something over the next three years because we're just going to get PCS orders to go somewhere else, we're, we're going to see those younger folks typically have more places available to them. The more supply there is, the more choices and options people have, the better it is for overall housing affordability um, and really trying to find that right balance between our magic words of the day, apparently, supply and demand. <laughs> uh, I love it. You know, let's, let's let's take a quick look here, and we'll probably have to run this into the, the next segment uh, as well. But what are those, those real expectations? I know that uh, the Fed minutes come out uh, later today as we are recording this. So by the time we air, they'll have already been out. Um, and and it seems like it happens every time when, when we're doing this. Uh, There's always this news coming. It's it's crazy, but from the industry perspective, I know what our analysts are looking at and saying. In your world, is, is the the outlook very similar? That you know there might be one or two more increases within the next six months, and then the Fed pretty much. Putting uh, putting the brakes on. So the known unknowns right now yes. <laughs> are inflation and employment, and these are the two things that the Fed looks at, right? Um, wanting to manage the money supply as well as manage full employment, and there's this right constant balancing and teeter totter mm-hmm. of walking that line. So when will inflation abate, and what will be the impact on employment? Now, right now, there seems to be a lot of positive evidence that we've already talked about that inflation is on track to start decreasing as we head into the 2023 year. Mm-hmm. Employment now hasn't really shown a lot of signs of budging, but there's a pretty good possibility that we're going to see unemployment have to increase as the economy slows down as a result of these higher interest rates. We still haven't seen the full effect right. of everything the Fed has done to date. My personal opinion is that we should see another uh, 25 basis point hike at the February meeting, and then there's a decent chance that they will pause and start to say, okay, what is the effect, and not do anything for a couple of meetings as they assess the impact of what they've already done on the economy. Now, 
presuming inflation is on track to move towards these target levels that everybody's put out there and assuming that the Fed doesn't have to adopt more aggressive policies as we go through the 2023 year, I think the first half of the year you're going to see the biggest brunt of these higher interest rates Mm -hmm. combined with higher mortgage rates for the housing market. And that's going to that could potentially continue to slow down economic activity for the first half of the year. Uh, but as we come out of the break, we can talk about what might happen in the second half of the year. Uh, look at that. this guy. It's like he's done a segue or something before. Doesn't it sound like you know? It, it's like he has a marketing background besides mortgage. <laughs> Uh, Well, folks, we are coming into that next break on the show when we come back. Yes, we're going to talk a little bit more about those Fed expectations. What uh, not just the short term, but really even those longer term impacts, because we're going to talk a little bit about uh, what you've probably heard some some thoughts out there about what they will call the yield curve and how it's inverted, which means that the short-term yields are actually higher than the long-term yields. What that means, what that basically uh, portends, if you will, for markets over the next few years, not just in the uh, mortgage and borrowing world, but even what that means on the, uh, the equity side of life. So stick around. We will be right back. Does stock market volatility have you wondering which way is up? Do the talking heads and doomsayers have you wondering if this really is the end? If you want straight answers from an advisor who isn't just trying to sell you something, call FRS Financial Group at 719-500-8700 to schedule your complimentary appointment today. And remember to tune into Money Matters presented by FRS Financial Group here on KRDO, Saturday mornings at 9 and Sunday at noon. Products and services offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA, SIPC. Folks, thanks for sticking around with us through that break. Rick Stevens here, FRS Financial, presenting Money Matters this week. In the studio with Andrew Rogers, with Kyle Fisk of the Fisk team at Pintrust. Some of this we've been talking some numbers. Some of you uh, may be uh, already nodding off a little bit. Hopefully we're excited enough about uh, about these pieces. Or maybe there's still some questions that, that maybe have uh, kind of come up for you folks. Similar to some of the things we've been discussing in here, not the least of which is, Kyle, are, are rates ever going to come down? Well, if we look at this first half of the year and say we're going to see a decline in home prices, we're going to see a decline in unit sales, we're going to see a decline in building inventory, Kyle, why do we think something at some point will turn the corner? Three reasons, and we've already talked about one of them. The three reasons why we should expect to see at some point in 2023 a turn in events where we're going to see an opportunity for mortgage rates to trend down and where rates will almost certainly begin to be down on a year-over-year basis at some point as we work our way through the second half of 2023. Three reasons. Declining inflation, inverted yield curve, recessionary 
history. Those are the three indicators as we look at. Now, we've already talked about inflation, Mm -hmm. measuring year over year, how the high numbers of 2022 were replacing low numbers of 2021, causing inflation to rise, causing interest rates to follow. Where inflation goes, interest rates go as well. Now we're replacing high 2022 numbers with lower 2023 numbers. That means that core inflation reading is going to, we've already seen it, start to happen. Mm -hmm. That's going to start declining in the first half of the year, particularly pay attention to the numbers we replace in April, May, and June, a 90-day window where we should see substantial movement in the inflation number. As inflation comes down, interest rates will follow. There's a lag to it, but they will follow the inflation numbers. That's number one. Number two, as you alluded to before the break, inverted yield curve. Now, stay with me, people. I know it sounds mortgagees. <laughs> You're like, what the heck is he talking about? No, 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 no. It's all top gun, right? We were inverted. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a little bit different than that, but that's the cool word. That's the cool use of the word inverted. So normally, you would expect the cost of money to be uh, higher the longer you borrow it. And so if we think about it, a 30-year mortgage has a higher interest rate than a 15-year mortgage. Because there's time risk and time value of money. If it's my money and that. I was lending it to you for one for two years versus 10 years, if you're going to keep my money for 10 years, I need a little something back in return right, for you right. to keep it for that longer period of time. So as we look at the yield, which is how much money I make on my right, investment right. as the investor, normally I would say, If I'm going to lend it to you for 10 years, such as a 10-year treasury bond, or versus two years, like a two-year treasury bond, I would expect to make more money on my 10-year than my two-year. Right, The two-year should be cheaper. Yes. The shorter period of time should be cheaper, except in these periods of inversion, where short-term money actually costs more than long-term money. Here's what that means for you. It's the market itself. It's the investors in the market betting that interest rates are going to be lower in the future than they are today and in the near future than they are today. So why would I want to invest today when I can make more money at a different rate in the future? And so we see this inverted yield curve right now. And what we have seen historically, whenever there's an inverted yield curve, number one, it's a recession indicator. It means you're in or going into a recession every single time. And number two, it also means that rates are likely going to decline in the future. And every time we've seen an inverted yield curve over the last 40 years, we have seen it followed by a period of lower interest rates. So inflation's coming down, interest rates are coming down. Inverted yield curve, that means interest rates are coming down as the cost of money changes. And number three, recession. Let's talk about this, Rick. You and I have talked about this over the over the weeks it's, and days. Are we in a recession? It all depends on who you want to listen to and what kind of advertising they're trying to sell you. Well, and what goalposts were set and then moved. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Because, you know, historically speaking, recession is two consecutive quarters of negative GDP growth, which we saw I'm, in 2022. I took economics in college. I'm pretty sure that was the textbook definition of yes. a recession. I used so to ba- teach college level economics. That so, was the definition I used. So consecutive quarters, back to back quarters of negative GDP growth, which we I'm pretty sure saw in quarter two and quarter three yes. of twenty of, of twenty twenty two. Yes. So by definition, we are in a recession. Yes, exactly. By by definition, September thirtieth hit check mark recession. And now we have to look in the rearview mirror to say, when did that start? Yes. Right? Okay, but so we're in a recession. Um, what's your take on how long will a recession last? 
So I, I always preface this with uh, this is what I call the RBG version. That's Rick's best guess uh, out there. And the short part of that is with, with all of the different uh, economic analysts that I have sat in on calls with over the last 12 months, quite frankly, because we started actually talking about this at the end of 2021 and going through here's what's coming. Here's what we likely see. Here's how long. The, the consensus is not only are we in one, it will probably be one of the shorter ones we've seen, lasting 12, maybe 18 months at the max. But there's good news from a market side when that comes in because typically your equities markets are forward-looking. They're going, okay, we're going to fall off right now before it starts, which we saw in quarter one and quarter two and quarter three. And it looks ahead, 6, 12, 18 months, and says, okay, this is we think things are going well. And fourth quarter, last year, the S&P 500 was up over 7.5%, but nobody wanted to report that part. Well, and correct me if I'm wrong, over the last 30 years, haven't we seen the recessionary cycle shrink and shorten meaning we fall off and and the, yes. the data seems to suggest that the faster you fall off the cliff the faster you recover and rebound and as you look at these charts spanning 30 years and the periods these bars colored bars in the middle showing recessionary periods that has gotten narrower and narrower and narrower now part of that is we have got all these monetary policy tools right where and again they hit it sometimes too hard too fast uh-huh but that also shortens that recessionary period and has that rebound effect that, like we said, we saw it as early as Q4 of a rebound in the equities market. Yes. Yeah. And that's that's one of those big pieces, right? Because when you look at it, the, the quote unquote historical perspective is typically about 36 months on the recession side of things. But if you look more at the near history, right, in the last 20, 30, 40 years, it's more like an 18-month average than 36. So we've basically cut them in half. And if we've already been in this one for maybe six, seven, eight months, maybe-ish, somewhere around there, that means we could have as little as six, eight, ten months remaining, meaning as we get into the mm-hmm. second half of 2023, we might see that corner turn. And here's what we know about interest rates, both on the Fed mm-hmm. fund rate as well as mortgage bonds and everything else related to interest. In a recession and coming out of a recession, historically, traditionally, almost every time, we see those interest rates decline. And therefore, as we talk about the second half of 2023, yes. why do we think interest rates will come down? Because we're going to be in or coming out of a recessionary period. So it's not just hocus pocus. It's not just mortgages and a bunch of magic, uh, Andrew. It really is. There are some good indicators mm-hmm. and some good data that as we look at this seem to suggest, no, this isn't we're not in the middle of a housing bubble or a housing crisis. There certainly has been some market correction, but in the next five to six months, we could very well see interest rates come down quite a bit. Absolutely. And when we're talking about that, I guess uh, one of the questions a lot of people have, I know a lot of people you know, ask me, thinking that I know just because I talk on a microphone all the time, <laughs> is, uh, is, is it even a right time to even look at maybe buying a house, things like that. What would you say as far as uh, that outlook into 23? 
So there's a saying in our industry that says you marry the house and you date the rate. And so I wouldn't let interest rates, high or low, be the reason to buy or the reason not to buy. Like the pressure on housing, the reasons you look to buy a house because you're getting married and starting a family or having another kid and need another bedroom or you're right sizing because the kids went to college or you need a fence backyard for the dogs mm-hmm. or whatever. All, all of those reasons that create demand for housing, none of that changes based on interest rates and economic outlook. Families still, you know, new households are formed. Things change in our lives. There are different things. We move, we get job transfers, we get promotions. All of these things that make us want to get a different house or a better house or move to a different part of town or whatnot. All of those um, reasons and motivators for housing don't change. So don't let the interest rate be a reason to buy or not to buy. Um, Like we talked about earlier, given what's happened with some of the home prices and it's being a little bit more of a buyer's market, it's actually a great time to get a good deal on a house, to go and be aggressive. So yeah, I think it's a great time to be in the market looking. And what we can look forward to is even if you end up at an interest rate that is higher than what you wanted it to be, or maybe is higher than what it's going to be in the future, again, marry the house, date the rate. Get an interest rate today, refinance down the road. It's what we've seen. There's a cyclical nature to this. Get into a house that meets your needs, fits your budget, a payment you can afford, knowing that it's highly likely, no guarantees, Mm -hmm. but all the indications seem to suggest that eight months from now, 12 months from now, you're going to be able to refinance that mortgage at a lower rate anyway, but you've been in the house, you've been building equity, you've been investing even at a higher interest rate, hundreds and hundreds of dollars every month are going to the principal of that home, building value, putting money in a savings account called your house. And let me tell you what the interest rate is on rent, 100%. Yes. You know, one of those, one of those things and, you know, it's kind of thinking at it, uh, even from that, from that Dave Ramsey perspective out there is right now your, your 30 year rates are typically better than if I've looking at that shorter 15 or 10 year uh, at the moment from from you know maybe not a huge difference in there but it is a little bit a little bit lower on that longer term if i'm looking at this going well if i take a 30 year right now maybe 3 4 5 years down the line i can refinance that to a 15 and actually end up with a similar or maybe even a lower house payment and a lot shorter time frame Exactly. And so it's a matter of really sitting down and saying, okay, what are your goals and objectives? Like that really has to start being the conversation. We used to just, I need to buy a house frenzy. I could, I could put a house, I could put a sign in my yard and sell it tomorrow. If I wanted to buy a house, I had to make 50 offers. That market has changed. And so it's an opportunity for everybody to say, why do I want to buy a house? What am I trying to accomplish? What are my goals and objectives? What are my budgets? And really understand, I, yes, People buy houses for one of two reasons. They either have to find the right house for their family right now for all those reasons we talked about, or they view it as an investment opportunity or both, right? And this is a great opportunity to stop paying rent or to get into the house that meets your needs and to figure out how to really leverage that payment you're making every month to build wealth. Every study that's ever been done says that the first step, there are lots of steps to creating sustainable, generational, transformational Mm -hmm. wealth. But every study that's ever been done says step one, buy a home. Yeah, and that's and that's one of those big things, you know. As we as we talk, uh, oftentimes, and, and when we've got uh, Evan on here, and his name just seems to come up quite often, actually, uh, as we're talking about these sorts of things, because we're talking about estate planning and legacy and that sort of stuff. 
one of those big pieces almost every single time is that transfer of ownership of that real estate. And, and really, that's that's one of those key areas that, that, as you said, comes up every study time and time and time again where, you know, great, great, great grandpa got his 40 acres out here when it was like eight cents an acre. And now we own half of this particular county because he kept spending eight more cents. And, and that's one of those things that we pass on generation to generation to generation. So, well, folks, we are up against that break in the show. When we come back, we are going to continue talking about kind of that look ahead. So stick around. We will be right back. Money affects each of us in different ways. Sometimes it's a source of stress and fear. Sometimes it's a source of comfort and security. Whatever your perspective, it's always good to get a second set of eyes on your finances to help serve as a guide. If you are looking for that guidance, call FRS Financial Group at 719-500-8700 to schedule your complimentary appointment. And remember to tune into Money Matters presented by FRS Financial Group here on KRDO, Saturday mornings at 9 and Sunday at noon. Products and services offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA SIPC. Folks, thanks for sticking around with us through that break. Rick Stevens here in studio with Andrew Rogers and Kyle Fisk, part of that Fisk team at Pintrust Mortgage. And, and Kyle, we've been we've been kind of talking about the good time to buy, right? We we've talked about a number of different pieces. One of those things we haven't yet tackled in that good time to buy really deals on the income side of things, right? We we have seen. Uh, you know, you, you may not have felt it as much personally because of the inflation in your prices, right? I'm paying more for groceries. I'm paying more for gas. But across the boards, one of the things that we've seen going up and quite frankly, doesn't have a lot of, uh, of headwinds pushing against it to slow it is actually wage increase, right? I mean, we've even seen just starting January 1 this year, even the minimum wage has gone up, not just in Colorado, uh, specific municipalities. Uh, Denver actually raised the municipality wage. We've seen it across the country, minimum wage going up. But it's not just the folks in the minimum wage jobs. It's pretty much everybody making more money these days. Across the board, we have seen income inflation is yes. really what it's called because we're seeing incomes dramatically increasing across the board. It's been interesting, given the last year of high and increasing inflation, normally higher inflation slows down demand. Mm-hmm. You see consumer activity decrease. I don't spend as much money. I don't buy as many goods. What we've seen over the last year is actually consumer spending's actually remained relatively flat. Now, that's related to two things. Number one, we've seen a high increase in people's leveraging, meaning they're buying a lot more things on credit. Credit card debt has dramatically increased. So people are saying, I don't want to change my standard of living. I'm going to keep buying goods and services, and I'm just going to finance it. That may not be such a great thing in the future, but the second half of that has been seeing incomes increase. So if your income is increasing, even though the cost of things are going up, you don't change your lifestyle because you have the income to support it. As we've looked at our 2023 kind of housing forecast, we've already talked about lower inflation, bullet point number one, a recession-like slowdown from the economy. Mm -hmm. We've talked about that. And then the third point is incomes increasing, which will help affordability. Because if I have a higher income, I qualify for more home, and I'm willing to spend a higher percentage of that income on my housing because I have more of that disposable income to play with. 
Or or it may not even be a higher percentage per se, but it's the same percentage, but I'm making more, right? 30% of 50,000 is different than 30% of 60, which is different than 30% of 70. Which gives me the ability to invest more and to buy more house to call home in that environment, which combats the issue of rising prices and home affordability. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, when when we're talking about this kind of in that that big grand scheme of things, and I know, I know Andrew is thinking about this because he is, in fact, the everyman, but I'm going to steal his thunder. What does that mean in El Paso County? As we talked about in one of the previous segments, we are still seeing fairly strong home price and home increase in value in El Paso County and Southern Colorado. Most experts predict that for 2022, we're going to see about an 8 to 10% total appreciation. Now, that's down from the 20 or 25% appreciation we were seeing. So it certainly has slowed down. Now, what has that meant? It's also meant that we've seen more inventory on the market. Now, a healthy market balance between buyers and sellers is traditionally known as a six-month supply. We haven't seen six-month supply in El Paso County in about a decade. Um, But we have gone from one- to two-month supply to three- to four-, four-and-a-half-month supply. So we're moving the right direction. The teeter-totter is balancing a little bit, which gives buyers more power. Um, We moved – one of our – Builder partners said we went from an interest list, meaning putting a wait list for our homes, Mm -hmm. to offering incentives in 30 days, right? It moved that quickly to where now the sellers, whether it's new home construction or a resale out in the marketplace, uh, there's more inventory. There are fewer buyers, frankly, because a lot of buyers are sitting, there's still plenty of demand, Mm -hmm. but a lot of buyers Mm -hmm. are being scared off with these economic forecasts, with higher interest rates, with the scare of can I afford it, with the scare of are we in a housing bubble. So you have a lot of buyers sitting on the sidelines. So fewer buyers in the marketplace, more sellers and higher inventory. Again, the balancing of the teeter-totter to where buyers have a little bit more power. Two years ago, buyers had no power. They were offering $50,000 appraisal gaps, waiving their inspections. And, you know, if you saw the house at three in the afternoon, you better make an offer by four, right? You couldn't right. even think about it. Well, now you can see the house on Friday and Saturday and wait till Monday or Tuesday and think about it. You There aren't 50 different offers. There's more rooms for negotiating. Sellers are offering concessions. Builders are offering incentive. Uh, sellers are paying for temporary rate buy-downs like two ones and one ones, right? Which is a, a legal way for the seller to prepay a portion of that buyer's mortgage for the first year or two. And that's kind of cool. You know, all these that's, things that's that we didn't thing. see, we didn't see this a couple of years ago. So there's a lot of balance in the market now where buyers have a lot more control. They've got a lot more influence, a lot more power in their buying decision and with Home prices not increasing as quickly. They're able to find homes in a price range that fits their budget and still get a good deal. Yeah, and that's uh, that's really one of those big things, one of those big worries that that I know there are a lot of folks out there because I talk to to folks who are in that twenty and thirty age range, and and a lot of them are are out there going, I just can't afford to buy a house. I can't afford I can't afford some of the rent that's out there. But but as we talked here, some of that with the rent prices going up, especially getting pushed up with with the with the larger uh demand from folks, well now that some of that supply is going to come online, 
things are going to get more cost effective. I'll be very curious to see what happens in Southern Colorado in 2023 on the rent side. Nationally, the numbers are very clear and every indicator says that rents are going to continue to skyrocket. Rents have actually increased more. When we talk about an affordability problem, the cost of rent relative to a percentage of someone's income has actually increased dramatically higher and faster than the than the cost yes. of buying a home and the percentage of a person's income for people who own their own home. So rents are getting out of control. They're hot. They're moving up rapidly and they're getting expensive. Now here in Southern Colorado, we might see a little bit of a difference as 2023 is projected. The last number I saw was 3,500 units coming online for El Paso County in the coming year. Now, as all this supply comes on the market, that will have an effect back to our supply and demand yes. conversation. See, it's as Econ to, 101. As to <laughs> the pricing. And so that could... Now, I still think you're going to see rents increase in Southern Colorado. It just may not be as high or as quickly as what we're seeing on some of the national numbers. And so the, that's a really interesting micro effect of what's happening right here in terms of the supply of apartment units specifically and what effect that will have. The other thing that's going to be really impo- important in Southern Colorado is looking at new build inventory. Now, we've been behind in uh, El Paso County and Southern Colorado for adding homes, the number of total homes we have versus the number of family units that are here. Like, we just don't have enough. And we've been having a high increase of inventory. All these builders, you know, Mm -hmm. a Challenger Homes, a Classic Homes, a Vantage, even some of these national builders like a Lennar or a Richmond that are in our market building 500 plus homes a year. Many of these builders are starting to pull back of what they're of the holes they're going to dig and the sticks they're going to build in 2023 because of some of these forecasts, and that could have a really interesting impact on our prices moving forward by slowing down the introduction of new inventory into the market. Um, so that's another real uh, important piece of the equation here locally. Yeah, and and one of those other things in some of the different things that I have read uh, relative to housing, not just locally, but but even at that national level is that if you go back 20, 30 years ago, you had folks who, as they were aging, we had to sell mom and dad's home so that mom and dad can go to this nursing home, skilled living facility, retirement home, whatever the case may be. But more and more, mom and dad are staying in that house a lot longer, which also reduces that available inventory especially in a place like Colorado Springs where folks go that's where I want to retire and that's where I'm coming back to the house that I bought 10 years ago and was renting out now I'm going to come back and live in it Colorado Springs continues to be by every study that's done in the top 5 to 10 uh, places to retire it's also way up there for military retirement yes they, get, they come through here on a tour of duty and they say I like it here I'm coming back and they end up coming back here and so yeah and as people stay in their homes longer as uh the younger generation are taking longer and longer to buy their first home one of the reasons for that is they can't find one right it's not that they don't want to buy it's just that so we definitely have a supply issue and again the lower supply in southern colorado that's what's going to keep a floor on pricing. Prices are not bottoming out. I hear a big fear from, especially mm-hmm, first-time mm-hmm. homebuyers, is this the wrong time? To, am I getting in at the peak and I'm going to lose all this value in my home? The short answer is no. Because of the limited supply we have, that is almost a, a safeguard. It's a guardrail against prices declining mm-hmm. because re- kind of almost, almost regardless of the demand side of the equation, if my supply is limited or finite, 
you know, it's just going to, it's a prop to keep those prices at an elevated level. And so I still think it's a great time to buy because of that stability that you're going to see in home prices in El Paso County. I don't think you're seeing any big declines. You're still going to see home prices increase. It won't be as much as it has been in the past, but you're still going to see increase in valuation and appreciation. So it's the it's the slowdown in the price increase, not the decrease in the price. That's right. It's not devaluation, it's deceleration. There's a big difference. You know, one of those one of those big pieces, and I know there are a lot of folks out there that that kind of look at this from the, you know, my goodness, look at what the price of homes and land in California did. And they question, well, is that something that's going to happen here? Will someday I never be able to buy a house in in Colorado or along the Front Range or in El Paso County? Is that a real worry that they should have versus one of those worries that, you know, maybe there's some talking heads out there that kind of feed this worry? There's a big difference between what you see on CNN and the talking heads and the fear-mongering and all that and what's actually happening in reality. And that's why... You know, I encourage you, you've got to work with a local team of professionals, right? So whether it's your financial advisor, whether it's your real estate agent, whether it's your mortgage loan officer, finding good local people, because what's happening, again, I can quote national numbers all day long. You and I look at these national numbers and sit on these conference calls and listen to these webinars to educate ourselves about these larger trends, but all real estate is local. And so you've got to understand what's happening right here. And the only way you're going to get that is by working with a local team of professionals. I know a lot of folks that listen are just average Joe over there, Mm -hmm. or average Andrew. I guess it's average Andrew, not average average Joe. Average Andrew. Um, But if you're a real estate professional and you're listening and you want to jump into a conversation about 2023 forecasts and trends for what's happening in the housing and mortgage market, join us on February 2nd, Tuesday morning um, for a, a, a class that we're going to be teaching, just a whole forecast, about two hours long. Send us a text, 719-277-9238. We'll get you more information about that forecast for the 2023 market for Colorado Springs, El Paso County, Southern Colorado, when it comes to what's happening in housing and what's going to happen in the mortgage world. You mean the the, the stuff going on in El Paso County may not be what's going on with my farmland back in Southern Illinois? I can pretty much guarantee that it's different. Okay. Okay, well, I guess with that in mind, I won't assume over the last few years my farmland has increased in value by 80%. Unfortunately, probably not. All right. But if you'd bought a home in Colorado Springs 10 years ago, you might have. (laughs) Well, thankfully I did, and then I bought another one about three, four years ago. So got uh, got the plus on both sides uh, of that uh, that equation. Well, folks, we are up against the end of today's show. But Kyle, if folks have questions... How do they get in touch with you? Absolutely. Check us out, FiskMortgage.com. Give us a call or shoot us a text, 719-277-9238. We'd love to talk to you about what you're doing in buying or selling real estate, questions you have about the mortgage world. If there's something we can do to help you, friend or family member, we'd love to. And real estate professionals, join us for that February 2nd forecast for 2023. Give us a call or shoot us a text for all the details, 719-277-9238. Folks, we are up against it for this week. We will be back again next week, continuing to talk about your money because your money matters. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. 